Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And just in case you don't want to call in, don't care to call in, think of something during the week or after the show's off. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. That's right. There's also three databases on the site you can search. There's the vehicle questions, which is going to give you a short, kind of to-the-point answer to your question. Right. Add new topics to that just all the time. So we, we over about 400 now. You're over 400 now. I think it's about 420 of them at last count. But that will give you, give you an answer to most of the questions that you may come up with, and in those answers, a lot of times they will link to a topic on a detailed topic section. For instance, if you go in and type in something on air pressure, it's going to give you a quick answer to the question, but it's also going to link back if you hit the link to the detailed topics, much, much longer explanation. Right. That's a good good thing to have on there. Yeah, I've tried to go in and insert as many links as I could where you can jump back and forth without having to physically search two databases. So right. If you do find a topic that does catch your interest, I know a lot of times I'm researching on the web looking for one thing, and I'll end up on something totally different because something catches my interest, and I'll link to that and link to that and link to that. And Before long, you're <laughs> I'm off in the etherics. We've tried to link it as much as possible. You end up with nothing but links if, if you're not careful, but right. it, it is pretty Pretty well cross reference. Cross reference. Uh, pop on there and see what you think. That's the vehicle question section. Of course, the detailed auto topics will give you a much more in depth topic. Right. And there are things, just put one on tire rotation. There's one coming up on Ford air suspension, which is something we get a lot of questions on. I don't think it's live yet online. It's been written, but it's timed. Generally, they come on about every 10 days to give you time to read them and, and understand what all's in there. But I've probably got five or six of them that have been written that are sitting just there. Just sitting waiting. Yeah, waiting. And, Kind of neat because you can just put a published date on it, and on as of that date, it'll come online automatically. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I kind of lose track of what all I've got in there. <laughs> There's one on framework, which is real popular, frame and unibody repair, right. recognizing frame damage to your car and so on. And there's another one fixing to come online, as well as topics on differentials and oil pressure and timing belts and, and transmissions. transmissions. And I'm also writing one on wheel bearings, which I think will be fairly interesting. Just all the things that we get questions on the show about or I get emails about that I can tell there are people who are interested in. We'll go ahead and put together a topic on that and gives you a good deal more information. Right. And how big is the site now? Oh, geez. I don't know. Several gigs. <laughs> In fact, I've had to increase the size of it. We had to go to the server and buy more space twice. So there you go. That's a good sign. It means yeah. you're growing and you're going. That's it. But yeah, I think the last time I looked, we had over 811,000 people who had been to that site so that's a lot for a local site that is an awful awful lot for a local site if you just if you go on the internet at all you'll see most local sites will have somewhere in the range of 10 to twenty thousand people if they've been on there maybe two or three years right and this one's got over eight hundred thousand so that's quite a few people <laughs> generally we get between a hundred and two hundred people per day right and that's that site. from all over the world yeah that's correct it does give you a breakdown tells you where and Ironically, our second largest, beside the United States, second largest country accessing that site, and has been for several months now, Yeah, is Russia. Russia. Yeah. Believe it or not, Russia. Get out. Yeah. I think you can even understand, but obviously uh-huh. a lot of people don't uh-huh. Obviously. <laughs> you would think Canada or right. or England or something, but yeah. Right. Russia is the second largest visit to that site wow. by a pretty wide measure, and has been for several months now. 
Huh, that's maybe, interesting. Maybe we got a real good fan of him. So I hope he's listening in. And he'll, there you go. Maybe he'll call us. <laughs> <laughs> so, pop on air and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com, and awful lot of good information. Pop on air and see what you think. I think you'll really enjoy it. I was listening to a commercial a little earlier today, and it, it kind of cracks me up every time I hear this. They were talking about General Motors, and of course, everybody knows the, the troubles that they're right. in, what have you. And, they come on and say, you know, if you lose your job, we'll pay your note for nine months. We're reinventing cars. Well, you know, if you're going to reinvent the car. Why, exactly. Why don't you reinvent those intake manifolds that leak on every one of them? Or that transmission that burns up at 60,000 miles. Or the or dashboard that goes out at 37,000. Yeah, if you really want to reinvent yeah. it, why don't you reinvent that? Exactly. Just ironically, I, I was looking this morning at some of the recalls on cars. Oh, man. The new Camaro, which came out on May the 6th. Okay, that's so it's been out. less than a week. There's already a major recall on week, it. Week and a half. Yeah. The starter wire rubs on the frame and catches the car on fire. Hot dog, huh? Yeah, this is supposed to touted as their most highly developed car, the new GM, the reinvented GM. Yeah. Six days, and they got to recall days. the car. <laughs> I said, come on, guys. You know, you really, you really do. Yeah, instead of trying to talk people into all this fast marketing, I'm going to pay you a note. I'll pay my right. own darn note, you know? Just give me a car to last. <laughs> Just give me oh, a car exactly. that doesn't break down. A car that I have to spend 1000 bucks on every time he goes to the shop, and I'll pay my own note. That's it. They just don't seem to get it. Nope, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's all sad. But, you know, they're still selling cars. That's the bad part. Well, they're not selling enough of them, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, but... But, yeah, it's just kind of funny when you see that. And, of course, I'm like everybody else. You always want to pull for the American companies. But what you've got to realize is that a lot of these companies, it's not like there's a Mr. GM sitting up in Detroit. These are internationally owned, stock-held companies. And for the most part of course you see this every day same as i do those parts come in genuine gm where are they made korea thailand china singapore you see everything except made in the usa yeah they don't even build the cars here for the most part so about the only thing american about them is the name that's it and uh, actually chevrolet is a french name (laughs) (laughs) but it's actually a law out there on the books a lot of folks don't realize it it's never been publicized a great deal but it's called the american automobile labeling act and supposedly, they're supposed to label where the car is built and the amount of U.S. content in the car. Correct. And you would think that would give an advantage to the domestic manufacturers, but it doesn't. It actually just shows how bad they are because you could take like a Chevy Suburban, which is supposed to be about as American as you can get, except it's made in Mexico and only has 70% U.S. content. Yeah. And to qualify as an American car, it has to have at least 75% U.S. content. And be made in the United States. So basically, a Suburban is an import. It's not, it's not American. <laughs> same with a Camaro. Same with a Mustang. Yep. Uh, same with a Chrysler 300. Same with a Dodge Charger. Same with a Ford Fusion. So a Ford Focus. On and on and on. In fact, the only one on the list that I saw that was an American car was a Toyota Camry. Yeah. Because it made in Georgetown, Kentucky, and got 75% U.S. content. Yeah, we had some parts come in the other day on a, bo- on a Toyota box. Made in USA. Right. You do actually see that more on the Japanese Oh, exactly. Imports, it seems. And I'm sure that... There are some, a lot of American cars that have American-made parts in them. But it just seems to me, because I always watch that now, because I'm just kind of sensitive to it, just because I've been looking for it. Right. But we seem to see that more on the Japanese cars, particularly Toyotas. You see a lot of American-made parts. Oh, most definitely. One of the things when they came to this country, started building cars over here, I think part of that agreement was that they would try to use domestic content mm-hmm. as much as they could. And so they're actually under more of a constraint to use u.s parts than domestic manufacturers are how about that yeah it would really is ironically I, I was reading the stipulations in this american automobile labeling act and if general motors buys parts from one of their wholly owned subsidiaries like for instance delco okay that part delco can go buy a part from china if gm buys it from delco they can consider it an american-made part oh that ain't right 
Now, if Toyota buys it from Delco, they have to consider it from the point of origin. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they're trying everything yeah. they can to try to give these guys right. a hand up or help up or whatever. It just ain't enough. And they're still going out of business. Yeah. So, Gee whiz. Yeah. Sad, sad commentary. It is. It really is. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters, and I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Forty years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. (sighs) Donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Just join us as the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Trin Tunes, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we're going line with Gene. Good morning, Gene. Morning, how y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. great. Got a 2006 F-150, uh-huh. uh, 70,000 miles, and I had this problem with transmission only when it rained, were well, these torrential rains, abnormal rains like we've had a couple of yes, sir. recently. Mm-hmm. The transmission will start slipping, and it's real sluggish in drive. And I called my, the mechanic I use, and he said that there was a problem with the, from around the windshield, the computer board on, for the transmission getting wet. And they, there's a relocation on that board. And I was just failed to ask him. I was wondering if y'all had heard about anything. It's only when it rains, and then yeah. when it stops raining, it dries a little bit. Transmission's fine. I was wondering if there was a... Y'all heard if there was a recall? No, I haven't heard that, Gene. It could be. I don't read every single technical document that comes through because it's basically thousands of them. I look them up kind of as I need them. But I haven't heard that one. It seems like I'd have run across that. You sure it's a transmission problem and not an engine running problem? Well, the transmission light comes on, and he told me that that he had had a couple. Really? And it comes from... uh the leak actually comes from the windshield. Yeah, I haven't it, heard uh, that one. It's way down to that mm-hmm. board. Yeah, I guess it, it could certainly happen. I have had that problem with other cars and other computers. They get wet, they're going to definitely freak out. If you want to send me an email, I'll look it up for you in service data and see. Yeah, I could tell you, and I'll I could sure give do you that. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll give you the reference back to it and see if it's a, It's probably just a technical service bulletin more than a recall because recalls are normally only going to be on things that are safety-related. Oh, okay. they, they can't make them recall something that's not a safety concern, no matter how big a problem it is. Well, yeah. if your transmission fails on you in traffic, that's yeah. well, you, you can argue that. <laughs> the problem with recalls, they make all kinds of bad designs, and they can come up with new stuff to improve the old product. And under TART law in the United States... You cannot hold an improvement as evidence that the original product was inferior. Reason being, if you could, nobody would ever improve anything. Nobody would ever offer an improvement. So that's kind of one of the things we've got. So they do offer basically thousands of technical bulletins. We get generally dozens every week from every one of the big three. Technical service bullets saying, hey, you know, this is, we've improved this, we've done this, we've changed this, do this, reroute this, move this. But it doesn't 
go up to the statute of a recall. Recalls can only be ordered by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And basically their criteria is it has to present a substantial risk to the public and it has to have occurred a number of times. Yeah, I knew if there was one on this particular problem with the F-150, you being such a highly rated vehicle, that yeah, uh, you would have known about it. But yes, I'll, I'll shoot you that email. Yeah, send it to me. I'll look it up and see. It could be – I try to watch most of those TSBs that come across – particularly on the stuff we work on a lot, but I just hadn't seen that particular one. But there's so many of them, man, I, I could have seen it and forgot about it. But thank you. Hi, Gene. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. If you're only part of the automotive, I would love to have Talking about technical service bulletins, there are literally just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of those out. Oh, there is. You type up one particular vehicle, you may get 500 and 600 technical service bulletins on that right. particular vehicle. Right. And, and more added every day. And all that a technical service bulletin is is that, They've changed something in the procedure from the time the car was originally designed. It could be something like, I know I've seen a revised alignment specification. Correct. For instance, when the car was built, they figured this was the alignment it needed, and then a bunch of them wore tires out, so they come out with a revised specification. Say, look, don't use that anymore. Use this one. Correct. Or, kind of like we were talking about on this one, it may be that you move something. I know the Chevy pickup trucks from... 99 on up to about 03 or 04, they had put the evaporative emission canister between the crack between the bed and the cab. Correct. And if it went to evap cycle in a rain, it could actually suck water into it. So they came out with a revised part, and they want you to relocate the vent tube on it. So there's just there's tons and tons and tons of those. Those are normally applicable for the normal warranty period of your car. For instance, you got a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty. You could get that done for free during that warranty period. Now, the thing is, most people don't know about them, and the other thing is, if you take your car into the dealer every single time for service, he's not going to tell you about it. That's right. (laughs) Now, if you have a problem, you complain about a certain problem, and it's covered by a bulletin, he should at least go ahead and do that. But they're not going to tell you, well, we've got da-da-da-da-da, and a lot of other cars have had this problem, so we're going to go ahead and just do it on yours. Right. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen until something happens to your vehicle. So, you know, that's one reason why I always recommend to people before your car gets out of warranty, if you bring it to us, we can do a pre-warranty expiration inspection. And that's one of the things we check for is outstanding service bulletins, particularly ones that are common and ones that are expensive. Right. Like the dashboards on the Chevy pickup trucks. That has a recall on those up to 70,000 miles, but it generally does not start showing any serious symptoms to probably after 80,000. And then you're kind of stuck with the deal. But if you bring it to us, a lot of times we can spot the symptoms way before you even see them. You can get it back in, get that get code fixed for free, free, rather than wait until after the fact. Another big, big thing is, of course, the intake manifolds that have such a problem leaking on the GM cars. Right. You can catch the symptoms early. If you know where to look. Before you get a, a big, major problem. Well, even before it starts losing a noticeable amount mm. of coolant, if you know where they leak and you go in and you look or you die test the coolant, you can pick up a very, very tiny leak already starting to form at 35,000 miles. And you can get it back to the dealer and get it covered right. Let's without any get expense. Covered rather than me spend that $900 later on to get it done at my expense, because you're probably not going to get any serious symptoms, oh, 80,000, 90,000 miles, and right. sometimes you don't even recognize them then. It just starts losing a little coolant. You don't know. You dump water in it for the next 10,000 miles before you know it. The radiator's eating up. Right. you got a, eating up. you got a great big problem then. Oh, huge, huge problem that could have all been covered under your warranty. And warranty is one of those things. It's not like you're getting something for nothing. Well, that's right. You've already paid for that warranty. You paid for the warranty. It was including the price of the car. General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, Toyota, Honda, whoever they are, 
they look at their car, they calculate what things are likely to break, they play in the odds like everybody else, and they add that much back to the price of the car plus a little bit for profit. Exactly. Because they expect to make profit on warranty like they expect to make profit on everything else. And basically, it's sort of like an extended warranty tacked on the price of your car. You paid for it. It was included in the price of that car. You might as well get your money's worth out of it. Yeah, exactly. You might as well get it covered. But the point is, if you don't know about it, then there's no way you can get it covered. Right. And once that car passes three years or 36, it's gone. Then very seldom will they give you any grace period on anything. Yeah. Few of your dealers will. Sometimes if they feel it's very, very close and they feel like they can retain you as a customer or they can make some brownie points, they may right. bend a little bit on the warranty. But I know we had a Ford truck come in, F-350, this week, and 46,000 miles, and I know the owner very well. This vehicle has never even been off the road, ever. I mean, mm-hmm. he treats this thing like a baby. Truck is immaculate. You're probably talking a forty five fifty thousand dollars truck. Oh, at least. And the upper ball joint's worn out so bad it's dangerous. Yeah. At 46,000 miles. Yeah. That's usually unheard of at that kind of yeah, mileage. Yeah, you would think. And I said, well, why don't you call the dealer see what he'll do? Nope, 336. That's it. <laughs> yep. It's over. You're over. You're done. Yeah. So he ended up having to come out of pocket with quite a bit of money to get right. all this repaired on a truck that with 46,000 miles. And that just, just kind of oh, I know. goes against my grain. Oh, I know. So anyway, <laughs> let's go back to our phone lines, Renee. Good morning, Renee. Good morning. Yes, sir. Hey, great show. I have Thank a question you. on 1994 Suburban Diesel. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. When I'm idling, sometimes say a red light, whatever, if I just stop, my AC will stop cooling. Now, when I take off and accelerate, it'll start cooling again. Okay. Normally, that's going to be one of two or three things. The first one being, and the most simple one being, it could be low on charge. If it's low on charge, it's not going to produce enough pressure at an idle. And when it turns faster, it may produce enough pressure to go ahead and start cooling. Okay. The second one is if the fan clutch is not working 100%, when you're going down the road, you're getting enough air coming through that condenser to cool it off. When you're sitting at an idle, you may not be getting enough airflow. Now, if that happens, the head pressure is going to go sky high and there's a cutoff switch which is going to cut the compressor off. Gotcha. So that's the second thing. The third thing is a weak compressor. The compressors themselves eventually wear out, and they just don't produce enough pressure when they're turning slow. Mm-hmm. And when you speed it up, it will come up. Now, one way to kind of tell, if you take with it still sitting still and just kind of give it a little gas or a little fuel and let the speed come up and see if it starts cooling even though it's still sitting still. Yeah, it does. I've it does. It. Okay, well, it's more likely either going to be low on charge or a weak compressor because you're still not getting any more airflow to speak right. up, okay. or, or probably not enough airflow. Well, but, that's great, man. Cool. Thanks. All righty. Do an email on that so we can get a little bit more info. Okay, Renee. Thanks for your time. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. We're going to our phone lines. We've got Joe on line. Good morning, Joe. How you doing, Lord? Doing great, sir. I have a 67 GTO. Okay. The water pump shaft broke. Okay. And the fan went into the radiator. Uh-oh. I replaced the water pump, uh-huh. the thermostat, and had the radiator record. Okay. At the same time, it messed up the fan trap. Yeah, I'd say it probably would. You need to be careful, too, Joe. Make sure it didn't bend one of those fan blades. Well, well, well it did. Yeah, you'll get a heck of a vibration. Well, I, put another one, I bought another one. The guy said it was made for that car, but okay. I'm looking at it, and I don't think it is. Well, here's the problem. The mm-hmm. car still runs hot when it's idling. It does fine as long as it's on the road. Okay. And like I said, I don't have a shroud on it now. Yeah, now that could be the problem. That could very well be the problem, Joe, because what happens without a shroud, particularly if the fan is located a distance from the radiator, like right. a six or eight inch gap, it does. What it will do is create a turbulence with that air. And when you put a shroud on, you've created basically a wind tunnel. 
okay. which is drawing straight through the radiator. Without the shroud, you're just creating a turbulence behind the radiator. It's not drawing air through the radiator. It's just stirring air up behind it. Right. So the water can't give off the heat because there's no airflow. So when you come to an idle, when you're sitting still, it's going to overheat. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're going down the road, you got 30, 40 mile an hour wind blowing through that radiator. You don't even need a fan. Right, yeah. So you're going to need to get a shroud for that radiator. If for some reason you just absolutely can't find a shroud, one thing you might try is an electrical pusher fan. In other words, they make an electrical fan you can put on the front of the radiator, and it pushes air through it. Right. Now, that's not my preferred solution. My preferred solution is to put it back the way God invented it. But if you can't get anything else, that will get you by the problem. Okay. Another thing that might help, Joe, they made spacers that went behind the fan, behind, between the fan and the water pump. Right. And you get those up to about four inches thick. If you locate the fan closer to the radiator, it'll okay. make it much better. All right, yeah, okay. So, and those are real common back in the day. You know, you don't see them anymore because everything's so tightly engineered. Right, right. Back then, there used to be several different thicknesses of spaces where you could kind of tune that. Yeah, you could move the fan. You could up. move the fan close to the radiator. And you want that fan probably about a half inch, three quarters of an inch from the radiator. Okay. That way you'll draw a lot more air. And like I said, if you have to hook up a pusher fan, on a new car, it's kind of bad news. One of those old cars, you had enough electrical capacity. The car didn't draw that much. It would handle it okay, you know? Right. So you think the shroud probably have a lot to do with it? Shroud would be the best thing. if you, Yeah, if it's overheating that idle only. See, right. if it were anything like a thermostat or a water pump or a radiator, it would overheat going down the road because right. it couldn't get rid of all the heat you were creating. Right. What this is doing, it can handle the heat load of the engine just fine. It's just when you quit moving and there's no airflow, exactly. then it starts to get hot. Okay. All righty. Okay, thank you. Okay, Joe, thank Bye-bye. you, man. Bye-bye. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. We got Chuck online. Good morning, Chuck. Hey, Lewis, how you doing? Doing great, sir. I got two quick questions sure. for you. First one is, I'm helping someone who's disabled try okay. to take care of a little Chevy Metro, and okay. I want to get an opinion from you whether or not it would be advantageous to do all these repairs at once or try to split them up. Basically, she's got 01 Chevy Metro. And what's wrong with it is it's going to need three belts, uh, power steering, water pump belt, and uh, oh, the other one. Uh, Probably alternator. Probably, yeah. And so that's one thing. The, uh, the second thing is it needs struts. Okay. okay. And because of the strut, it's feathered down the tires. So probably two tires and it looks like brakes and front brakes and a rotor. Yeah, what I would do, Chuck, I would evaluate, number one, what's the biggest problem. In other words, if the belt's fixing the brake, then that moves up to the top of the list. Mm-hmm. If the belt's not fixing the brake, then, of course, you could move it back a little bit. Certainly, you'd want to do all three belts at the same time just because of shared labor. So mm-hmm. all three of those would get done at one time. Next on that list, certainly you need to address the brakes because, number one, it's a safety issue. And number two, the cost is going to get higher and higher as it goes on and on. So that would also be at the top of the list. Now, as far as the struts go, Chuck, depending on how she drives the car, most folks in that particular situation don't really drive their cars a whole lot. And I find struts are way, way over-recommended. Chopping some on the tires may be the strut. The strut may be worn out, but it may be an alignment problem as well. I would probably get a second opinion on that. Because mm-hmm. are the struts worn out? Probably so. Do you necessarily have to do it? Probably not. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty big expense that if she doesn't drive the car a great deal, maybe she's only taking short trips, five, six miles in town once or twice a day, you may be able to go with those for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. And that's a big expense. So I would probably get a second opinion on that. I'm not saying that it's not necessary or not needed, but they're not 
puking oil out, leaking oil, if the car is not hard to handle or control, if it's not bouncing excessively, causing a safety concern, I find people try to sell struts an awful lot. And if you think about it, if you're getting a little bit of tire wear, I mean, you can buy a couple of tires for that car fairly cheap. Mm-hmm. You can buy an awful lot of tires for what it's going to cost you to put a set of struts on the car. Yep. You know, it may just not be an issue that you have to deal with. Now, if the search situation was different, hey, this was a fairly new car, you're a salesman, you're putting 100,000 miles a year, it's wearing your tires, it's bouncing, yeah, sure, you need to do it. Mm-hmm. But not everybody needs the same service recommendations. Gotcha. So that would be kind of my thoughts about it. And again, you would want to do the struts if you're going to do them before you do the tires. But I would want to get a second opinion from somebody I really trusted on that and see if that's really necessary. Why do they need to be replaced? If she's not experiencing a lot of bouncing around or the car's hard to control or any of that kind of stuff, I think I would put my money, if money was very limited, I'd put it more towards things that are more important. You're more bang for the buck, as it were. Gotcha. Second question, this one's for me. Okay. Drive a Honda, I always have. If something goes wrong, I like to have Honda parts, not the aftermarket sure. parts. Sure. Do any insurance companies allow you to put anything but aftermarket parts, or do they all exclude that? Well, Chuck, they can't really exclude that. They can't tell you. It's your car. They can't tell you how to fix it. Let's say you wreck the car. It's your fault. Your company's paying for it. You may have signed something in that policy that gives them the right to tell you this is what we're going to pay for. If somebody runs into you, that's a different story. They cannot tell you what kind of part. They have to put it back to original standards. Right. They're going to try to buffalo you and tell you, oh, yeah, da-da-da-da-da-da. Another option is if it is your company paying for it and they insist on aftermarket parts, you could always pay the difference. It's not going to be that much difference in most cases to go ahead and get the better parts. It's going to be cheaper for you in the long run than putting junk on there, I can tell you. Absolutely. That's the way I feel about yep. it. We use exclusively Honda parts on Hondas, Toyota parts on Toyotas, even GM parts on GM and Ford parts on Fords, with the exception that occasionally, particularly on the American cars, there may be a part that's better than the original. For instance, a Moog front end part is better than the original GM parts or Ford parts. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I would substitute a Moog part simply because I know it's a better part. But that's yeah. kind of the exception to the rule. Yeah, I was just having to wrestle a little bit with my Safeco man, and I, I was just wondering, exactly like you said, the contract allows them to use aftermarket parts, and yeah. I was just wondering if, if any insurance companies, if you're not in an accident, would, would allow you to use your original parts. I'm not really sure about that. You could probably email the insurance commissioner's office, and they could tell you. Mm-hmm. I know they regulate that kind of stuff. you got to be real careful when they use the word you have to. No, you don't have to do anything. That's your car. The relationship between you and the shop that repairs a car is one thing. The relationship between the insurance company and you is another thing. And if it's the other guy's insurance, you have no relationship with them either. All they have to do is fix your car back the way you want it done. When you got your own company involved, then you've got a contractual agreement that there's going to be certain limits on things. Yeah, that's so, the situation. You know. Yeah, that's another reason I don't carry collision insurance on my cars. I buy older cars, keep them, and stick a little, the extra money in the bank. And if my car gets damaged, I pay for it myself and don't have to put up with all that foolishness. I totally agree. <laughs> All righty, Miss Chuck. Thank you much. Thanks, sir. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> 
Ho, ho, ho! Lewis, fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. questions you might have and just in case something occurred to you during the week that's right you can always visit our website it's www.agcoauto.com that's a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com right that'll get you to our site and there's a contact bar on every page you can send lewis an email any time of the day or night and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours should you happen not to get one back in 24 hours go that's ahead right. and check your return address and resend it yeah, just send it again because that I always answer my email, so if, if you don't get an answer back, it's either got lost in hyperspace out there somewhere, or maybe the return address was wrong, maybe typed in a wrong character or something, and I can't get back to you. So Correct. Yeah, go ahead and just check on that and send it right back to me, because I will get you an answer back. There's tons and tons of things. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the new air pressure gauges that we were testing, and those, right. those worked out really, they really well. Seems to be working real well. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty impressed with them. They- I've got some ordered. I actually ordered 10 more of them to go ahead and put in use and what we're going to do, we're going to actually stock a few. And I've had a lot of people ask me, well, look, when you get through checking them, they work out. I want one. So <laughs> can't really get them easily in this country. Right. It's order. actually coming from Europe. England, yeah. England. Uh, Sheffield, England is where they make them. Okay. And we're going to put an article on the site about that. And if anybody's interested, they can go back to our phone. I've got Derek online. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I got a 03 Trailblazer. Okay. And every time I go over a bump, the front suspension makes a kind of like a noise that feels like it's falling apart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it? A, do you think it's a major deal, or do you, is there like? A, do you think that's a suspension issue, or definitely going to be a suspension issue, Derek? Most of the time on those, we haven't seen a tremendous amount of problems. On the Trailblazer, that's the one that has the bushing on the lower control arm that goes out, isn't it? It is. It also has a stabilizer end link with a ball and socket, like a ball joint right, on each yeah. end. And those are notorious for going out. And they'll make a. what happens is the boot breaks, water, dirt get contaminated into the joint, and the joint wears out, and it starts <laughs> making noise every time you hit a bump. Probably the two biggest things. The end links are probably about $60 each. If you have to buy them, and the labor to change them is probably about an hour, so right. it's not huge. Those bushings, I think, are more expensive. The labor is probably about an hour per side again, but I think those bushings are a couple hundred bucks. Don't you have to get the whole arm to get that bushing? I don't recall. I think the last one we got, we got a whole arm, yeah. the complete arm assembly. Yeah, you may have to, so that would probably be a more expensive. I mean, neither one of them is just an absolute killer. I'm not talking thousands, but... Right. Uh, you probably gonna spend a few hundred dollars. I'd okay. at least have it checked and find out what it is. Yeah, and that way you can make your base your decision on what it is. Right, well, because it's hurt something else. Right, if it's a right. lower control arm bushing, then it's throwing the alignment out. Yeah, which and which tires is up. right. Well, that's the other thing. My two front tires are wearing on the inside. Yeah. That would make sense because as the weight comes down, the bushing wears out. The front end is going to spread out at the yeah, bottom. the bottom spreads out. Which is going to wear the front tires. It tows it out and also cambers it out, so then it starts eating the inside of the front tire. So not only are you going to end up losing a set of tires, it's going to aggravate the devil out of it. It's just going to get worse in time. So I get the arm fixed and, and the uh, that fixed before I get new tires? Oh, well, yeah, we, we need to find out what's going on with it, yeah, if that's actually the whole problem. Yeah, make sure that okay. is the problem. But, yeah, you'd want to go ahead and do that before you put tires on because you don't want to start wearing a set of new tires 
Okay. It's still got to be fixed regardless, so. Great. Yeah. Maybe get them both done at the same time. Right. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Thank you, Derek. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's kind of one of those things we call a pattern failure on vehicles, and lots of vehicles have pattern failures. That is, things that go wrong with a large number of them. Correct. It's on a trailblazer, that's one of the things we see a lot. So, a lot of times, man, how do you know somebody? Well, because we see, we see it every day. Failures. Yeah. <laughs> see it several times a week. Right. Certain cars tend to have certain problems, and particularly at certain mileages. You had a gentleman dropped off yesterday. He says, man, I got a whining noise in my front end when I'm in four high on a Chevy pickup, four-wheel drive. When I accelerate, I can hear it. I said, well, front differential's going out. There you go. Oh, man, no, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, let me check it. We dropped the drain plug. Of course, the magnet's all full of metal. Right. Yeah, that's what it is. So it's a shame that you do learn those things like that but the same things tend to happen and what that points to is just inherently weak design flaws in the original design so that so many of them all have the same problem right that's just a a lack of engineering or a lack of quality control on making the parts or something but we do tend to see those types of things a lot there's just really not that many brand new things that you see every day (laughs) no there's not yeah unless you get a part change or a different part or right something of that nature that starts failing yeah you'll find it but occasionally you'll come up with something just totally new and off the wall and well it's like your crown victoria is a certain year model to a certain year range Mm -hmm. the windows would quit working well the motor was running the regulator was okay but there's a little plastic check ball right that runs the regulator right well those deteriorate and they bust all up and the window quits working right so it happens on every one of them. Yeah, and unfortunately, we get those cars in, and someone's already spent money on this, that, and the other, and haven't fixed the problem. Right. And ends up, that was the problem, so then you're able to fix it. So it's just kind of interesting how the same things tend to fail on certain cars. You see them over and over and over again, almost like... When, you can expect it. When the guy's telling you the symptoms, yeah, no doubt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and all you have to do is verify it, of course, to right. make sure. Because as soon as you jump to the conclusion, that's always it. It's going to be something different well, on the next one. But. Yeah, you could almost write an estimate off of mileage yeah. for certain vehicles. Yeah, unfortunately so. With the weather this morning, real pretty. Basically, it was a little bit overcast, a little bit cool, but kind of nice it's kind of right. hard to believe that we're coming up to hurricane season how about that huh yeah it won't be long uh june 1 isn't it yeah i believe it's june 1 yeah it might be i'm not sure exactly what the date is on it but inevitably it is coming and so many folks in baton rouge have been through so many hurricanes that a tremendous number of them have actually bought the little portable generators right They've that's one those. thing i know home depot sold out of them oh yeah a while back and, just and brought trucks and trucks and trucks of them and in. sold those sold all those but So there's a a great number of them out there. And we put an article on the website last year towards the end of hurricane season about storing your portable generator. Right. And I'm sure a lot of people, it's a pretty popular article, I'm sure a lot of people did do that. Some probably didn't. But now that you're ready to take those generators out of storage. Well, there's no reason to take them out right now. Yeah. The weather's pretty. Right. You know, no threat of right. bad weather. Right. But when you're going to want that generator yeah. is when it's storming outside yeah. and the power goes out. You can't wait to fix the roof when it's storming. That's yeah. it. So now's a good time to get it out. Right. Go through it. Change the oil in it. Check your fuel. Mm-hmm. If you stored any fuel and you didn't put a stabilizer in it, you need to get rid of it. Right. A good way to get rid of that fuel, if it's not too old, is to go ahead and maybe start adding it to the tank of your car or your pickup. A couple gallons to a tank full. Right. Don't go dump the whole thing in because right. if it is old and stale, then you can have just putting the problem with your car. But with the price of fuel being what it is, you don't want to just go throw it away. I no. But if you take and start dumping out, let's say you got a couple of five-gallon cans, maybe add a gallon or two to a near tank full of gas, 
even if it's a little stale, you're not going to see a real bad problem. It gives you a way to get rid of that fuel. Then you can go get some fresh fuel and have it for hurricane season. Right. And, and while the fuel is fresh is when you want to add your stabilizer to it. Right, because once the fuel has gone stale, right. the stabilizer will not bring it back. No, it's not going to regenerate anything. No. In fact, it just complicates the matter because you add more chemicals to an already stale mixture. Right. So what you want to do is, before it gets stale, when you get your fuel, and I've got a couple of these, we call them jerry cans, back in the old GI generation, German jerrys. Some people know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, they used to use them on their tanks, and they always called them a jerry can. It's a metal, big metal gas can, holds five gallons. And I've got a couple of those with fuel in it, and i got to stabilize, so I'm pretty much ready. Right. And even that, I like to change those out, so I'll use it in lawnmowers, and I'll oh, yeah. pour some off in the truck, and I'll go get some fresh. That way, if and when I need it, it's there. I'll have some fresh fuel. Exactly. To run my, my generator or and, whatever. And, you know, you can take that can when you go to the gas station, mm-hmm. fill the can up, fill the truck up. Right. Put the stable in the can, and you've got five gallons at a time. You're not trying to go out and buy 20, 30 gallons at one right. time. Well, you, you almost got a budget for it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they go up there and buy 40 gallons of gas at... Uh, <laughs> yeah, $2 a gallon. Yeah, uh, and soon, soon to be more than that, I yeah, figure. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. steady climbing. Definitely shooting over the $2 mark. Hey, let's go back to our front line. Wayne, good morning, Wayne. Good morning. Good morning. How y'all today? Doing, Doing great, great, sir. Hey, look, I had bought an old 2 Ford Ranger from a dealership that I thought was reputable here in yes, Gonzales. And, uh, Don't give any names on the air. But anyways, the, the air conditioner, when you're driving down the road, mm-hmm. if you accelerate it, it will stop working. It yes, sir. Stop, mm-hmm. Yeah, is that a normal function? No, it's not a normal function, but it's a fairly minor repair usually. It's a vacuum line that is leaking. See, all the servos run by vacuum. Now, what it's actually doing, Wayne, it's not going to quit blowing. It's going to start blowing at the defroster up at the base of the windshield. And it quits coming out of your dash, so you think it quits. But if you actually put your hand up there, what it does, it goes to defrost. Because defrost and heat are safety functions, there's a spring that when the system fails, it automatically defaults to those. Right. Now, what happens is that your engine is producing close to 20 inches of vacuum when it's sitting there idling, which is great. It can run everything. Everything works great. When you accelerate, that vacuum drops down. Now, if the system is weak because it's a cracking line and it's leaking or one of the servos is leaking, when you accelerate, there's not enough vacuum in the engine, so then that spring is going to pull it back up to the frost, and it's going to quit blowing out of the dash. Generally, the fix is not bad. The fine is the problem. Trying to find that leak in that half-mile of vacuum lines. Yeah. We've got a machine at the shop called a smoke machine, and what it does, it uses nitrogen gas to produce a smoke, and we run it through the intake, and it goes through all the vacuum line. You can see the smoke coming out where the leak is. So it makes it fairly easy to find. Other than that, you just got to kind of hunt it down. And with the engine running, it's kind of hard to hear a little hissing or sizzling because the engine's making a lot of noise. But yeah. if you start looking around, you're going to find a vacuum leak somewhere. Some of the most common places, one is under the battery. Some of those lines run under the battery, and if you get an old battery that's leaking, some of that acid will run down on those lines and crack them up. Another place is on the right-hand side, back at the firewall, where the line goes through the firewall. They tend to crack right there. It's a little eighth-inch vacuum hose, hard plastic, and you'll see them all over the motor. But just look around, listen around, and you'll probably hear a little hissing noise. You might even get under the dash of the truck and listen and see if you can hear a little hissing noise. And if you find that vacuum leak, you'll fix your problem. And okay. if, if you can't, you can bring it to us. We can find it for you. And like I said, the, the fix is generally not real involved. It's just finding it's kind of involved. Yeah, well, since then, the air conditioner compressor itself has went out, and I'm going to have to get that replaced. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, it doesn't do much good to get the blowers work today if the compressor's gone. So. Right. And I was just wondering if that might have something to do with it, apparently. It no, didn't. sir. It's, it's two separate issues. That's fairly common with your vacuum thing. Now, 
One thing on a compressor, Wayne, and you're going to get all kinds of opinions on that, so let me go ahead and just throw mine in. Compressors don't ever just go out. Okay, a compressor is a system that's completely lubricated. It's sitting in a sterile environment, running with oil all the time. Compressors don't just go out. When they go out, something calls them to go out. Now, what happens if you stick another compressor on In about six months, you'll be putting another one, and six months later, you'll be putting another one. And each time you do it, you're putting a whole bunch of contamination in the system, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And you almost get to a point where you can't fix the car after a while. It just yeah. You can't keep a compressor on it. So you need somebody that knows what to do and to research and find out why that compressor failed. One of the reasons they fail is because the fan clutch on the vehicle is not drawing enough air through the condenser, so the head pressure is too high. Another reason is a leak somewhere in the system that leaked the refrigerant out. Somebody added more refrigerant, but all all leaked out and it burned up. Okay. So you just got to find the root cause and fix that, or you'll be putting compressors on it from now on. We well, see it all the time. I had changed the clutch on it because the other clutch had the bearings in it had burned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I changed the clutch, and that was working fine, but I was getting a, a loud noise. And then when I went to take the clutch plate thing off, it clicked mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. and it was, it was just so hot it burnt my skin. Yeah, see, I never put clutches on those because when the you can buy a compressor with a clutch almost as cheap as you can buy a clutch. And the labor's about the same, and when the clutch goes out, I can tell you the compressor is generally not too far behind because the clutch has done tore the compressor up. Right. So that may have been your problem. When the clutches go bad, it wobbles that shaft around, and really, I just always just change the whole assembly. I, I found it's, it's way, way easier. You're done with it. And if you change a compressor before it fails, you get out of all the problem of having all this metal in the system that came out of the compressor when it went out. So right. you, you're way dollars ahead, in my opinion, just to put a clutch and compressor on it and be done with it. Because that clutch probably cost you, what, 100 105 It was close to 100 yeah. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. you could probably buy a whole compressor with a new clutch for two two fifty. So, yeah, I priced them at a Ford dealership for 300 Yeah, Yeah, it's not much more than that. So labor's almost the same to change the clutch as it is to change the whole compressor. So it's just, to me, it's easy just to change the whole rascal while you're in there and be done with it instead of, because now you got a new clutch on an old compressor that is no good. Right. Okay, well, that's just, you know, I was backyard mechanic type stuff. You know, there you go. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate it. Man. Okay, Wayne, thanks for calling, man. Uh-huh. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Thank sir. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Take one last little break, and we'll be right back with more. Hi folks, Louis Aldezan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Pennsylvania 6, 5,000. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech from Agco. Between two of us will answer any automotive questions we might have. I see every one of the phone lines lit up Of now. course. <laughs> now we're just about out of time. That's it. Let's see how many of these we can catch. We got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. 
Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I enjoy your show. Well, thanks, sir. Got a problem that I think a lot of people are going to start having this summer. Okay. Parked my car for about 10 minutes in the parking lot uh-huh. yesterday. Okay. Got back in it, and it would barely turn over. Okay. Yes, sir. I figured, I said, well, the heat must have killed the battery, left it alone for 20 minutes, got mm-hmm. back in it, and then it cranked enough to start it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Went down the road about a mile or two. And then all of my electrical lights started coming ah, on. okay. Uh, was able to get it off on the side road and still got caught in the traffic a little bit. But but my question is, yes. I always thought that if you got a car running, that the alternator would keep the electrical system going until you could replace the battery. Is that... Not necessarily. It, it used to be that way. Yeah. Not anymore. Okay. I tell you, a bad battery will kill an alternator. See, we see that all the time where people have an old bad battery in their car and they're jumping it off trying to get by for a while, and that bad battery will burn an alternator slap up because those alternators are kicking wide open. I mean, they're putting out 130 to 140 amps a lot of times just to run the car, and you throw that extra load on them, they just can't take it. But another thing to think about there, Steve, is that you may have had a bad alternator from start. You may not have a bad battery. The alternator can also kill the battery. So, so you, you may have had a bad alternator all along, and that may be what killed your battery. So you need to get that thing tested. I don't ever just put a battery in a car. I always test because a alternator that's going bad may not turn a light on, may not do anything, but it will draw your battery down. Of course, you sit there a few minutes, the battery comes back up because it's trying to regenerate itself. And then, of course, if the alternator's dead, it's going to run on back down again. So I would definitely get that checked. If it is a bad battery, that's great. But to answer your question, yes, a bad battery can draw an alternator down. But by the same token, a bad alternator can also cause a bad battery or look like a bad battery. Okay, and, and so, but running the car it won't necessarily stay running if the battery is No, sir. No, will sir. not. See, a ba- uh, alternator is not a battery charger. I got it. An alternator is designed to run the load of the car and keep a good battery up, but it will not charge a dead battery, no. And so if, the, if, if the voltage drops... Yes, sir, absolutely. Yes, sir. See, if the voltage drops below about 10 volts, that car is going to die. Right. The computer needs 12 volts. It, right. it, it uses 12 volts as a base reference. Right. And anything, any voltage below that freaks the computers out. Right. So the starter can start at about 8 volts. Right. Well, I sure appreciate it. All right. You're welcome, Steve. Thank Keep you, sir. Good work. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Boy, I tell you what, we have just about out of time here. Do we have time for another? Oh. Nope. That's it. Hey, everybody who did not get a chance to get the call answered, go ahead and hit us on the website. That's right. That's agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Right. Now, I'll get a custom-built answer right straight back to you. Hey, I want to thank everybody listening to us this morning, every Saturday morning, Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.